You're listening to teaching from Castle Hills Christian Church in San Antonio, Texas. More information about Castle Hills Christian Church is available at chccsa.com. want to welcome everyone joining us here today, especially if this is your first time joining us. We like to say that we're one big family here at Castle Hills, and I hope that you will feel part of the family. There was a pastor that had some returning guests, and he picks up the phone to call on them, and, and on the other end of the phone, he hears this whisper, hello? And he could tell it was a pretty young voice, and he says, who am I speaking with? He says, uh, you get, he hears a whisper, this is Jimmy. Well, Jimmy, how old are you? And, and Jimmy whispers, I'm four years old. And, and the pastor says, well, Jimmy, is your mom available? And he's like, no, she's busy. Well, is your dad available? And he whispers, my dad is busy. Was there any other adults here that, uh, at your home that I could talk to? Well, there's a policeman here. Well, can I talk to a policeman? No, the policemen are busy. Well, is there anyone else there? And there's some firemen here. Well, can I talk to a fireman? No, they're busy. Well, Jimmy, what is everyone busy doing? Well, they're all looking for me right now. And we see that Jimmy was, was hiding and everyone uh, evidently was looking for him. I think a lot of us are like Jimmy. We're pretty good at hiding, especially some of our pain and some of our trauma. We've been in a series called The Thing Beneath the Thing based off of a book by Steve Carter. And in week one, we talked about why do we do what we do? Why do we do what we do? And then in week two, we talked about wearing masks and we're, we're pretty good at wearing masks. And really today is really part two of last week where we talk about hiding our pain and our suffering. And one of the things that uh, I've, I've read a recent study that said uh, 60 to 75% of American adults have faced trauma at some point in their life. And this study was done before COVID. And so I believe that most people, most people around the world has faced trauma in some capacity. And if you haven't faced trauma, you probably know someone that has faced trauma. The APA, the American Psychological Association, defines trauma as an emotional response to a terrible event like an accident, bullying, war, a tragic loss, or natural disaster. One way that I like to, to define trauma is a wound. And in, in a general sense, there's three types of trauma. There's acute trauma. Usually this is from a single tragic event that was life uh, altering, like an accident, an assault, a disaster that threatens a person's physical and emotional uh, safety. Uh, it could be, a, it could, or an acute uh, trauma could be something like a painful death of a loved one. Another type of trauma is chronic trauma, and that results from repeated or prolonged exposure to damaging events like childhood abuse, verbal abuse, neglect, or domestic uh, violence. And it's something that keeps happening over and over. And then thirdly, there's complex trauma, and that's the results from exposure to multiple traumatic events usually from interpersonal uh, relationships where one person uh, often feels trapped by layers and layers of abuse. Many of you, you have wounds. Uh, many of you are recovering from, from wounds. Uh, 
Uh, it might be memories of abandonment. It might be abuse. It might be criticism. It might be ridicule. It might be some kind of pain or rejection that you've experienced. Uh, prejudiced, or uh, you might be feeling the pain of some of your poor decisions or regret from those. You might remember the time that you were picked last to play dodgeball. You might remember the time that your friend moved away. You might remember the time that you weren't invited to the birthday party. You might remember the time that someone gossiped about you and how badly that hurt. I've discovered that almost every one of us, we have wounds of some type that we carry around. And one of uh, the things that I have noticed is with little kids, they love to show you their wounds. They will like, they, they'll point and like, hey, I have a boo-boo, I have a scrape. And especially if they have a Band-Aid, they want, uh, especially if I'm around children's ministry, they'll come and show me their Spider-Man Band-Aid. Hey, look, look, look where I hurt myself. And kids, they want you to see their wounds. They want you to know that they feel pain. They want you to see that. But as adults, what do we tend to do? We tend to hide our wounds. We tend to, we, we don't want anyone to know that we're hurting. And so this got me to thinking, where do we go to hide our trauma and our wounds? Many times we, we hide our, our wounds with busyness. And we just stay busy, 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 and so we don't ever have to deal with the pain. We don't ever have to deal with the trauma. Sometimes we dig into our family and we invest into our kids and we spend all of our time focused on that. And, and that's a really good thing. But if we never deal with the pain and the trauma, if we're trying to cover that up, and then that becomes an issue. Sometimes we cover up our pain or we hide from our pain by getting busy with our jobs and we become workaholics and we just work and work and work. And sometimes we do it with addiction. Uh, sometimes we turn to alcohol or drugs or pornography. Uh, I know that we saw alcohol consumption rise during COVID, and so people were trying to deal with the trauma that they were experiencing by consuming more alcohol. Well, we know that some people, uh, they deal with their trauma by eating more, and, and so they'll just eat and eat and eat. Some people uh, hide uh, their pain uh, by shopping, uh, and so they'll just shop and shop and shop, and even though they have that item, they feel like they just need more and more. Uh, some people will binge on watching shows, and so and instead of dealing with their pain, uh, they'll just watch uh, many, many shows all together because they just don't really want to go there. Some people will, will exercise like crazy, and exercise is a good thing, but many times people will exercise so much because they don't really want to go to that place that hurts them. They don't really want to deal with their trauma. Uh, some people will uh, invest into a hobby or, uh, like golf or fishing or crafting, and they'll just keep on doing that, and they'll never actually dig in to their pain and into their suffering. And, and so we're, we're great at hiding what we're going through but what if we, instead of hiding from our pain and our suffering, what if we took steps toward healing? What if we took steps toward healing? If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to 1 Samuel chapter 30. 1 Samuel chapter 30. David is in his late 20s, and he's not king yet, and he has about 600 men, and they had just been battling the Philistines, and they come back to their home base, Ziglag, and they uh, find that their city, their town has been burned and turned to rubble. And there's a, a band of raiders, uh, the Alamakites, that have uh, taken and have stolen their families. And, and so they come back and, and they see all of this devastation. You can just kind of picture them. 
uh, going to their homes and seeing the place that knocked over and, and burned, going through uh, their pictures and just going through everything in their house and just seeing how it's ultimately destroyed. And on top of that, they've, their kids, their wives are gone. And, and what we see here is in verse 3, it says, When David and his men saw, saw the ruins and realized what had happened to their families, they wept until they could weep no more. Have you ever been there where you were hurt so much that you wept and wept and wept and you just didn't have any more tears left? Well, these are these men. They're, they're hurt. They're rugged soldiers, but they come back and everything has been ruined and their families have been taken and they're tired and they're worn out from this march and from battling. And often what we do when we face trauma, we look for someone to blame and we look for someone to get mad at. And it wasn't just this band of raiders. They began to blame, that, uh, blame David. And, and so they began to take their anger out toward him. I, I think often when we face wounds, sometimes our energy from those wounds come out sideways on other people. When, you know, if you get mad at work, you're mad at your boss. And instead of going off on your boss, what do you do? You go, come home, you take it out on your spouse or on your kids. Sometimes you bring it to church and you go off with someone for something little and, and really it's not them, it's something else that you're going through in your life. Well, these guys are mad at David and, and uh, David's uh, happened to wear this on his shoulders and we look in verse six. David was now in great danger because all the men were bitter about losing their sons and daughters and they began to talk about stoning him. But David found strength in the Lord his God. He found strength in the Lord his God. David had been going through some serious trauma as well. I mean, his men are mad at him. Uh, two of his wives have been taken, and they're talking about stoning him. But where did he turn? He didn't go uh, and turn to alcohol. He didn't go and hide with busyness. But instead, he turned to God. And so often, we are tempted to go and, and uh, turn to something else to try to deal with that pain instead of turning to God. So David ends up turning to God. He consults to God and says, God, should we go after this band of, uh, band of raiders that have taken our families and destroyed our city? And God says, yes, go for it. You're going to be successful. And verse 9 says, so David and his 600 men set out and they came to the brook of Besor. This was about 15 miles from, uh, from their hometown. But it says, but 200 of the men were too exhausted to cross the brook. So David continued the pursuit with 400 men. And so at the brook of Besor, we see that these men, they were beat, they were fried, they were burned out, they couldn't do anything else. And how tired would a person have to be to abandon the hunt for their own family? I mean, they had just hit that wall. And so 200 of them, they rest, they stay with the gear, and, and, and I just imagine them kind of filling up their bucket emotionally, physically, spiritually, uh, but they just kind of hit that wall and they just couldn't go any further. So the other 400 men, they go searching for their families. They find this half-dead man in the desert. They nurse him back to life. This man ends up telling them where their families are, where this band of raiders are. And these 400 men, they go and they go and conquer them. They get their families back. They take care of all of that. And then they come back to these 200 other men at the Brook of Besor. And they kind of have an attitude. They're like, hey, we're the ones who fought. And you quit on us, and we don't want to have anything to do with you. You can have your families back, but after that, you can go on your own way. I'm kind of paraphrasing the scripture here, but that's basically what they're saying. They're like, yeah, you're, you're of no use to us. You didn't go and fight with us. You were too lazy. 
But David, he broke up the argument, and, and basically he says this. He says, hey, we're all family. We all play a part. Some of you fought and some of you stayed with the gear, and God's the one who kept us safe, and he's the one that led us back to our families. He's the one who rescued our families, and so let's keep that in mind. You know, here at CHCC, we have people who are in the thick of things. I mean, they're volunteering and they're doing this and that. But we also have people who are exhausted, who are burned out on life, who went through some serious trauma, who are beat up, who just kind of feel like they're at the end of their rope and they're just running on fumes. And I hope that CHCC can be a brook of besoar for many people, a place of rest, a place for healing, a place for encouragement, a place that you don't have to worry about being shamed or uh, being berated, a place of encouragement. I think it was Max Lucado that said the brook of besoar would be an excellent church name. A place that soldiers can rest, that you don't have to hide in your pain and your trauma. It's okay to rest. Mark chapter 6, verse 30 says, The apostles returned to Jesus and from their ministry and told them all of the things that they had done and taught. And then Jesus said, Let us go off by ourselves to a quiet place and rest a while. He said this because there were so many people coming and going to Jesus and his apostles didn't even have time to rest. And so Jesus made it a priority for him and his apostles to get away and to rest, to recharge. Matthew 11, uh, verse 28, then Jesus said, come to me, all of you who are weary and who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. We can come to Christ and he can give us rest. He can recharge us. So let me leave you with two thoughts. Are you hiding or are you healing? Are you hiding or are you healing? If you're hiding, will you take steps toward healing today? Uh, five phases of traumatic recovery that I read about by Dr. Dr. Sandra Dalton-Smith. She says in the first stage, there's stabilization of body, mind, and spirit. When we're going through trauma, when we're, when we're going through serious heartache, we're just trying to find a way to stay safe. It's kind of like when a tornado's coming, you're looking for the safe zone. Well, when we go through trauma, we're just trying to figure out what that looks like. And it's a time that we need to make sure that we're taking care of ourselves, that we need to do good self-care. It's a time that we're looking for that brook of besoar of where, we, where we're recharging ourselves. Then she says the second stage is mourning what's been lost. When we go through trauma, we need to mourn. We need to say, you know what? Yeah, we really missed out. I know one of the things that Julie and I mourned was uh, during uh, COVID, our oldest uh, graduated and his graduation wasn't typical. Just like many of you, you saw your graduations wasn't typical and that saddened us. We had this expectation. We had this hope that he would experience a graduation, a high school graduation like everyone else. And so we grieve that. And so during trauma, we need to take time to grieve. Thirdly, we need to remember the good. Remember the good. So often in the midst of trauma, we see all the bad, but when we get to a different stage, we can uh, see how God has worked, and we can even see good in the midst of pain and heartache. Fourth stage, she says, is reconnection with others. Often we isolate in the midst of our wounds, in the midst of our pain, but we wanna get to a, to a spot that we can reconnect and that we can have community. And then fifthly, uh, integrate with all aspects of your life. You want to go back living and you've, you may have some scars and you may have a band-aid here or there, but you want to go back and you want to live and you want to look and, and not waste your experience. 
You want to be able to help others because of the pain that you've suffered. So again, the question I want to leave you with is, are you hiding or are you healing? And then secondly, it's okay to rest and refuel. It's okay to rest and refuel. It's one of the most spiritual things that you do.